Well, they say third time's the charm, Thomas. Uh, it might work this time. What do you think? <laughs> Look, I think this is just one of the many benefits of, uh, of lockdown. We're having to figure out how to use all this wonderful technology. Uh, <laughs> so welcome, listeners, to uh, a slightly different episode of Staved Off. And I say slightly different because also welcome viewers, uh, because this episode is available as a video. Uh, that's a point of difference, number one. Then number two is the fact that uh, Thomas and I um, somewhat extraordinarily aren't in the same room. I mean, we we do basically spend most of our days together. <laughs> yes, this is far less conspiratorial than that. <laughs> that's it. Uh, and uh, of course, that's because um, Sydney is in uh, a, lo- a state of lockdown at the moment. And uh, that's put things uh, um, into a different state of play at the cathedral, hasn't it, Thomas? It does. It feels a little bit like the uh, opening sequence of that uh, television show, Get Smart. The right. corridor seems to get longer and longer, <laughs> and the, the number of doors that slam closed seem to get, uh, seems to increase. But anyway, um, the sun is shining. It's a beautiful day in Sydney. Um, but unfortunately, yes, the doors of the cathedral are very firmly closed, um, at least to... Um, to, to general worshippers. It's not possible uh, to have anybody at services at the moment, but they are continuing. And uh, thanks to the magic of live streaming, we're able to bring um, mass and now Vespers uh, to, to everybody um, on the internet. That's um, what we're going to be talking about today is Vespers. Now, I, I, I did mention that this is our, our third effort at uh, this particular podcast. Uh, let's hope that this, this time it works. <laughs> and uh, one of the things that we've developed in our, in our uh, efforts to get this going, Thomas, is the fact that I can no longer actually see you as, we, as I talk to you. Well, um, lucky you. That's also so, better, I'm sure. So why don't you tell me where you are <laughs> and you can explain to people who are watching this after the fact as well. So um, I'm actually sitting in the chorister's vestry um, in our um, subterranean choir rooms. There are a number of rooms. There's there's the main rehearsal room. Um, There's a a room just for the cathedral scholars. And this room is where the the younger boys, the choristers, um, they really use it like a common room. But we do have rehearsals in here. There's a piano. It's where the probationers have their classes when the choristers are having rehearsals. So I thought I'd, I'd sit in here in order to be able to uh, talk to you virtually. Oh, well, that's, uh, it's uh, an interesting experience for everyone, no doubt. <laughs> um, and when was, in fact, the last time that you, you saw any of these choristers, Thomas? In person, Gosh, at least. It would have been just over eight weeks ago. Yes, it has been a while, hasn't it? But, um, you know, I will talk about this on a future episode, but but things have been continuing with you doing uh, online learning with them, as I understand it. We are seeing them every day, or nearly every day, um, for for Zoom choir. Uh, mm-hmm. Yes, and I think we should actually talk about that, because although it's far from ideal, um, it nevertheless is has got some virtues. Right, and no doubt, uh, you know, as with all these things, it's a, it's there's a, there's a learning curve, and and we can all get better at, 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 at in our skill set. We can only improve, certainly. Yeah, indeed. <laughs> anyway, so um, as as we mentioned, what what we're really going to be talking about today is um, the fact that um, from the cathedral you're now streaming vespers. Now that's every day of the week, is it, Thomas? Yes, it is. And look, I'm actually really quite excited about this um, whole project because um, I've been very uh, gratified that for a number of years now, the, the Cathedral Choir has been providing sung vespers in the cathedral almost every day of the week. I think it's a good thing because um, really the church tells us that the, the liturgy of the hours, evening and morning prayer, um, 
are, are of great importance that, that really should be um, made possible for people to attend, certainly in, in major churches like St. Mary's Cathedral. So I think we're doing part of our job there. Um, but of course, most Catholics aren't actually very familiar with evening prayer or Vespers, as we call it. Um, so I think we've got a bit of an education job to do, which is partly why I wanted to make this podcast. Yeah, indeed. So now, first of all, I think probably the, the, the key thing to understand is that Vespers, while it, it's a, a liturgy and, and an opportunity for prayer, it isn't mass, is it? <laughs> no, indeed. When I, um, uh, one of our Zoom classes with the choristers, we were actually uh, getting them to sing through um, a Vespers, each boy doing a little, a different portion as we went through. And I started by asking them, uh, getting them to remind one another what Vespers is, because they do know they have sung Vespers before. But the answer that kept coming back is, well, it's not mass. Um, <laughs> and indeed, it's not mass. <laughs> um, it doesn't have the, the crucial um, component of mass being uh, Holy Communion. Um, but in other ways, of course, it's not dissimilar in that it's an opportunity to prayer. It's structured prayer time. And uh, it functions by way of moving through um, psalms, uh, responsories, uh, reading um, and canticles. Mm. So let's let's talk a little bit about that structure then, I think, so that because, as you say, probably um, a, a good number of people, even even quite committed Catholics, perhaps aren't so familiar with some of the structure of the, the office as uh, Vespers forms part of. So how does it begin? Um, well, we begin with, uh, uh, funnily enough, the introduction, <laughs> uh, <laughs> which is um, a little um, formula that, that gets repeated at morning prayer as well. Uh, mm -hmm. We make the sign of the cross together and um, pray uh, an opening sentence. O God, come to our aid. O Lord, make haste to help us. Mm -hmm. um, and then we get um, glory be to the Father. Now, this um, Trinitarian doxology, glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit, um, comes back. It bookends almost every little section of, of mm. the office. So um, we'll talk a bit more about that. No doubt. Yes, uh, I think uh, that, that the, the, the statisticians might want to count up the number of times that that, that doxological formula uh, comes throughout uh, the, uh, the, um, a whole day's office, but it, it would be many. It um, would be, so, but it's a pretty yeah. good um, uh, sort of uh, formula for praise, isn't it? No, indeed, absolutely. Um, but uh, after the introduction, there comes a hymn. Now, is that uh, that that's not really like all the hymns that we generally sing at mass, though, is it? Not really. Um, the office hymn at vespers is a much older and really a more integral um, part of the service. Um, hymns actually belong properly to the office. Mm. Uh, we talk about singing hymns at Mass, but actually really the, the Missal, the book that, that um, explains how Mass is to be celebrated, really doesn't envisage the singing of any hymns. Right. Um, there are slightly different types of chants that, that are expected at Mass, and again, that's something for another podcast perhaps. Um, but anyway, you're right. Uh, Vespers, at least in its current incarnation, um, does begin with a hymn. Now, most of these hymns are not um, strictly biblical. They've been composed, so they're poetry. They follow a meter. And, of course, here at St Mary's, we either sing um, one of the Latin ancient office hymns uh, or an English translation. Right. Um, and um, yes, I was about to ask, actually, about uh, the language that Vespers is sung in, because uh, some, some nights it's Latin and some nights English. Is that, is that right? That's right. We've, we've chosen um, at the moment to alternate. Um, mm -hmm. There are a number of reasons for doing this. I think there are um, different virtues 
to pray in the office in different languages. And um, at St. Mary's in normal times, the, uh, the choir would sing Vespers most nights in Latin. But at least two or three of the um, services are actually sung in English, often by a cantor in alternation with the congregation. So they're slightly different and yet they really try to achieve the same thing, but I think that they do it in slightly different ways. The language, it isn't just about whether or not one can instantly uh, understand the words. I think actually the two um, modes of prayer um, actually are slightly different and, and invite a, a different type of participation. Uh, when you say modes of prayer, you mean in English versus in Latin? That's right. Right. It, it's, that's an interesting idea. Um, so after the hymn, though, comes what, Thomas? The psalmody, and in many ways this is the meat in the sandwich for, for, <laughs> for evening prayer. Um, there are three psalms, or actually, strictly speaking, there are two um, sections from the book of Psalms and then a canticle, uh, another um, section from one of the New Testaments. Um, but uh, in any case, uh, this section we call the psalmody, um, broken into three, but each of the three psalms is bookended by an antiphon. And these antiphons, again, come back throughout the office and indeed the Mass. Um, it's usually just one or two sentences set to music that will in some way encapsulate a particular theme or idea. Um, and so as we move through the week, uh, starting on Sunday of course, through to Saturday, um, which is in fact the Vigil of Sunday, uh, mm. we get to hear different psalms every evening. So it's almost like it's been um, arranged. <laughs> it's been very carefully arranged. <laughs> Throughout the year. Um, and so, right, so three, three psalms, or, or effectively three psalms, um, after which is the, now let me just think about this properly, it's the um, short reading, isn't it? That's right. Uh, there's yeah. a, and it really is short. It's not quite like the readings at Mass. It's a little snippet of Scripture. Mm. Um, again, all of this is designed to help focus um, one's prayer and so um, it's very appropriate that we should have a, a reading from scripture but that's what it's trying to do it's trying to keep the the movement of the office uh, flowing so the reading then leads into what we call the short responsory and i suppose the responsory is in itself a response to the reading um, mm -hmm. it's really one sentence sung by the cantor uh, that's answered by another sentence sung by either the rest of the choir or the congregation. Um, then there's uh, glory be to the Father and we have the initial sentence repeated. Hmm. And now I've noticed, uh, I don't know if you uh, want to, to, to dwell on this at the moment, but most of the time it feels like that we have the same um, music or tune for the short responsory from one day to the next. Is that that's I, right. I You're absolutely right. Yeah. I mean, let's not forget that um, that all of the music for the offices um, is designed to, to be a vehicle. It's designed to be useful. It's designed to make it possible for um, the prayer to be sung. Now, there are all sorts of reasons why we might want to sing prayer. And, uh, of course, the entire office and the singing of it has, is something that's grown up over centuries. Um, particularly it would have been developed in monasteries, in communities that, that were doing this seven or eight times every day. Um, so of course it, it gets a certain um, workmanlike um, character, but that doesn't <laughs> stop um, parts of it being extraordinarily beautiful. 
Anyway, the mm. short response tree has what we call a tone. Um, in fact, there are several of them. Um, there's a different one, a, a slightly more ornate one for solemn feasts. Um, but you're right, it's basically the same melodic idea um, that can just be arranged to fit different texts. Yeah, it's clever like that, isn't it? <laughs> Indeed. Um, and then following the short response tree is... Uh, um, now, is it fair to say that what follows is is the sort of high point of, of the... Um, uh, vestivers? Absolutely. So the, the two main offices, the most important ones, are morning prayer or lords and evening prayer, vespers. And each of those main offices has a particular canticle that comes, um, perhaps you might say it's, it's sort of at the golden section point of the <laughs> office, but it's very definitely the, the climax. And for evening prayer, that canticle is the Magnificat, Mary's hymn of praise from Luke's Gospel, my soul proclaims the greatness of the Lord. Of course, so that, I mean that—that's a pretty important text, the the Magnificat, because it's it's Our Lady saying yes to the incarnation. Yes, it's an extremely important text, and uh, of course, it's also a text that perhaps, uh, um, as much as any other, really lends itself to being sung. It has a, a that sort of um, lyrical quality, hasn't it? It does, and I suppose look, that has to be said of 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 most of the the parts of Vespers, all these psalms, they're, they're poetry that, that's intended to be sung. The Magnificat's uh, really no exception. Um, yeah. It uh, is great, of course, if, if people come together to pray the office and, and to say these words, but I, I really believe, of course I would, I would say this, um, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, that it's, it takes on a particularly special character when it's sung. Mm, yes, um, n no doubt. Uh, what comes next, though? Uh, then after the Magnificat, which of course is um, preceded and followed by an antiphon, a Magnificat mm -hmm. antiphon in this case, uh, then we have some prayers, and they're, they're in the standard enough um, intercession format um, with a response that the congregation says. And we don't tend to sing those prayers at the cathedral, we, we just say them. Um, yeah. that, those prayers are followed by the Lord's Prayer, Our Father Who Art in Heaven. And then um, all of the prayer of the office, if you like, is um, brought together uh, by what we call a collect prayer, which is, does exactly that. It collects um, all the thoughts uh, into one final um, prayer that the celebrant prays. We all say Amen. Um, then there's a brief conclusion to the office. Let us bless the Lord. Thanks be to God. Mm -hmm. And then um, at St Mary's, we finish every, every Vespers service with one of the four um, hymns to Our Lady. Now, actually, these four um, hymns, uh, it's normally Salve Regina, um, but during Advent, uh, it's Alma Redemptoris Mater. During Lent, it's um, Ave Regina Celorum. And at uh, Easter time, it's Regina Celi. Now these uh, Marian hymns or antiphons um, most properly belong to the end of a different service from the Divine Office. That's night prayer, the last prayer or the last service of the day, also called Compline. Uh, now we don't have public uh, services of Compline in St Mary's yet. Um, yeah. so, <laughs> so what we do instead is to just take that Marian antiphon and have it at the end of Vespers because well, it's a good thing to do for lots of reasons, but certainly in St. Mary's Cathedral, dedicated to Our, La Our Lady Help of Christians, uh, it's a very good way to end out the office and, and indeed the, the liturgical day.
right so so that's how it all works let's um circle back and 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 look at how it all gets put together but before that thomas i actually have a question that's been playing on my mind a bit over the last few days um which is well um as i understand it most of what you sing at, at vespers is classified as chant but what makes something chant and what makes a particular piece of chant gregorian chant uh gosh what a good question <laughs> well um really uh, any um uh, here's a fancy word any cantillation oh. so um so that's basically any singing of course um can be classified as as chanting um but then uh, you're right that the the particular quality of most of the music that we sing at vespers does seem a little bit different to um for want of a better term more modern music mm. so yeah, and mod modern in this case might mean from the 15th century <laughs> yes indeed <laughs> um, what most of it doesn't have is a time signature so right. um, most music is organized into a particular rhythm um, and that rhythm will be further um, organized into um, regular um, what we call bars yep now um, chant um, liturgical chant uh, as I said before, it's it's very functional in nature. It's got a job, and that's actually to just um, to um, enliven, to um, to bring the text um, to life for people, to mm -hmm. um, to add that extra dimension to the text as it's prayed. Um, so we don't want to put too many um, sort of structures into that. We don't want to um, make it more difficult for people to pray and uh, not that rhythm necessarily does that but <laughs> chant um by its nature is it sounds very free right and is it is it in some ways perhaps more closely um relatable and and flexible with the the texts that are, are being sung is that a, a fair way to put it i think so because the, i mean the amount of text is considerable you could say mm. it's quite wordy um, so, um, in adding notes to that, we're already adding one layer of complexity. If right, we were yeah. to add um, a, a rhythmic structure as well, then I suppose it gets a little bit more complicated again. Yeah. Um, but that's not to say there is no rhythmic structure at all. So, let's talk about the office hymns, for example. Now, I said that they're poetry, and indeed they are, and of course they have one of those elements that's common to a lot of poetry, metre. And by that I mean that um, each line of, of each verse, and, and the hymns are organised into verses, each line will have a regular number of syllables to make it fit. Now I've got here some of the various books that um, one would need to use in order to put together um, a service of Vespers. And when talking about the office hymns, um, it's useful to refer here to the Liber Hymnarius, or the Book of Hymns. Mm -hmm. And this actually does include all the hymns that one would need um, in order to, to sing, in fact, any of the offices. Now let's look for a particular one. I'm going to find one of my favourite hymns, Ave Maris Stella, which is sung um, for Feast of the Blessed Virgin Mary. So this gives us the tune as well as the words, but let's talk about the text first, because it's a regular text, as I said. So... Ave Maristella, Dei Mater Alma, Atque Semper Virgo, Felix Celi Porta. 
that's verse one right um, metrical so if, as you say it's got it's got a, a clearly defined meter of the syllables and the way it fits together that's right so it's got yeah. six syllables for each of the four lines mm-hmm. so therefore it needs a melody that's going to conform to that and in this case here's the melody Now that happens to be one of the more complicated melodies, uh, but I think that's also part of what makes it very beautiful. Mm. And that melody, of course, gets repeated for each verse because each verse has the same meter, so it's possible to do that. Now, we can simply come up with an English translation for these Latin words, but that's going to have to have the same meter if we want to use the same chant, the same melody. And sometimes that's easier to do, and sometimes it's not so easy to do. Um, It can depend a little bit on the text, and it can depend on whether or not a a, um, particularly poetically-minded translator has set themselves that task. Um, So we use a a, a bit of a mixture of of, um, melodies that were designed for Latin texts, but with English words that fit. And sometimes we use more modern metrical hymn tunes. So, in fact, for um, Feast of the Blessed Virgin, we don't use an anglicised version of that Ave Maris Stella melody. Instead, we use um, a more modern hymn tune called uh, Abbot's Lee that goes like this. And there's the the rhythm aspect that perhaps isn't really there in the chant. So there's um, the difference, if you like. Um, for me, that immediately brings to mind the words "Father, Lord of all creation." But what <laughs> what are the um, what are the uh, 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 words of, uh, in the translation of Ave Maria Stella? So I can't remember all of them, but I know that it starts with "Sing we of the Blessed Mother." And it goes on. It is, in fact, a somewhat loose translation of Ave Maristella uh, yep. that wouldn't actually fit into the um, the same melody we use for the Latin words. Right, indeed. And as you say, I mean, some of this, I mean, very often these hymns have to be translated somewhat loosely in order to, for themselves to be metrical in English. That's right. And, and of course, the point is, that just as you know, different words that fit to that tune, uh, mm. that, that's, that's the um, idea. Um, that particular tune is often sung to other hymns like Glorious Things of Thee Are Spoken. Um, I can think of others. So that's, that's the, the point about it. But um, at least at, at what we're trying to do by having Vespers one night in Latin, one night in English, is to demonstrate the variety that's possible. Yes, indeed. And so, I mean, it, it really is um, worthwhile then for people to to uh, keep watching, effectively. <laughs> yes, I hope so. Some of the um, uh, hymns are more simple than others. They're not all um, as complicated and, or indeed as beautiful, as mm. Ave Maris Stella. Um, but some simple hymns are also beautiful, surely. I think so. Um, possibly yeah. beautiful in their simplicity. Um, So the the hymns on what we call ferial days um, are more simple 
than than the hymns that you might have on a Sunday. Uh, right, for yeah. example, um, at an ordinary Vespers on a Monday, you might hear this hymn, Luminis Fons Lux et Origo Lucis, which has quite a simple tune. It's Luminis Fons Lux et Origo Lucis, Tu Pius Nostris Precibus Fabeto. Luxque peccati tenebris fugatis, nos tu adonet. Now we can actually sing that particular hymn with an English translation. So, um, in fact, you will hear that sometimes sung in Vespers mm. in the Cathedral. Yeah, interesting. Um, and um, do we know where some of these tunes actually come from? <laughs> I don't know exactly, except to say that some of them are, are very, very old indeed. Right. Others of them in the um, sort of grander scheme of Gregorian chant aren't that old. They might date uh, from as late as the 15th century. Um, Interesting, right. <laughs> but yes, there's, there's a bit of a variety there. Good. Now, um, would you like to talk about the, the psalmody as well? And because, I mean, I think um, someone who who does, you know, come and listen to Vespers... Um, on several occasions might begin to think that where well, you basically sing the same tune over and over again <laughs> for, for the psalm. <laughs> and that's exactly what we do and we do it right. so that um, and again let's think about those poor monks having to <laughs> having to come and sing through these offices uh, seven or eight times every day including in the small hours of the morning uh, when their brain really might not be on musical things. Um, <laughs> there, there does need to be uh, a certain simplicity and utility about them. So for the Psalms, and I've got here, um, this is the, the English book of the Divine Office. Um, so if I find uh, a particular Psalm, let's try and find a Vespers Psalm. Here we are. Evening prayer of, of Tuesday, week three. So here's a good psalm. This is uh, from Psalm 130. The text is, O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor haughty my eyes. I have not gone after things too great, nor marvels beyond me. Now, in order to decide what tune we're going to use, one of the several that can come back again and again and again, mm. we need to look at that little piece of text that actually is specified before the psalm, the antiphon. Um, and in this case, the antiphon reads, unless you become like little children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Mm. Um, now, I would need to go and find the antiphon, and that's actually not as easy as one might hope that it might be. Um, but there are collections of antiphons. Some of these are actually medieval. <laughs> They're really, really old collections. Um, there are more modern ones that have been brought out in the last sort of 10 or 20 years, um, but they tend not to be very comprehensive. It's quite hard. You can't always find all the antiphons that you that need, must, which is that, frustrating. Yeah, that must be very frustrating. Yeah. Um, but so when you say that these collections have come out in the last 10 or 20 years, that we're still talking about antiphons with, uh, I mean, ignoring the text, but the music of those antiphons that wouldn't, wouldn't necessarily have been written within the last 10 or 20 years, would it? No, that's right. So what the, the Vatican authorities, the people that are, are putting together, and they're still doing it, um, right. all the chant for the offices decided some time ago, is that they wouldn't actually compose any more new Gregorian chant. So whereas some of these texts are new, they didn't 
I mean, when I say new, they might not have been sung as part of the office before. Um, right, yeah. Uh, there's not always a piece of chant existing uh, to go with them. And I have to say, I don't really understand why it's not possible to compose any more chant, even if it was to be in the style of Gregorian chant. I mean, all of the Gregorian chant um, was composed by somebody at some point. Um, yeah. It, it isn't as though an angel sang it into Pope Gregory's ear one evening and he wrote it all down. That, that really isn't what happened. Um, anyway, um, leaving that aside... Um, so so bec- sorry just to interrupt, but when, when did that policy come into effect? I don't, I don't know exactly new. when that policy came into effect, but it was certainly the policy that was adapted... Uh, sorry, that was adopted after the Second Vatican Council when right. it was uh, necessary to, f- to fit music to the um, reformed liturgies. Mm. So um, Vespers from this this book, The Divine Office, has been substantially reformed from from how it was before the council. Um, There are lots of differences, but for example, uh, there used to be five psalms sung every day, whereas now, as we said, there are two plus a canticle. Mm. Um, But the way the psalms are organised has changed, the antiphons have changed. Um, So the Vatican asked the, the great monastery of Salem, um, who have a, a history of being great chant scholars, to um, put together the new books of chant to fit the new office and indeed the mass. Um, however, that's a very difficult job for lots of reasons. And as I say, it's still coming out. It's still being done in sections. But if, as we do at St Mary's, you want to sing the office in English as well as Latin, well, there's no book. There's no book yeah. of chant. Nobody has done this. It doesn't exist. Um, so our policy here is to adapt the um, chants, the melodies uh, from the Latin office, which we do sing, of course, um, to adapt those to fit the English text. And uh, that requires, well, it requires some familiarity with the English text that I'm fortunate to say um, my staff and I and, and our singers I think we do have that familiarity because we sing the Latin chants every day. Um, mm. And it does take um, some years of, of going through all these cycles before you really um, are able to speak with an accent, uh, for want of an analogy. Um, so looking at this psalm that, that I picked out, Psalm 130, we'd find the antiphon, um, unless you become like little children. Now, I think that antiphon does exist in Latin. Um, let's say it used notes something like this. Well, that would be um, in what we call mode 8. And that tells us that we're going to use a particular um, melody for the verses of the psalm, which would be... O Lord, my heart is not proud, nor haughty my eyes. There's verse 1. I have not gone after things too great nor marvels beyond me. There's verse 2. And so we go with that same tune that keeps coming back again and again. Mm. The very last verse, as we've already said, would be the, the glory be to the Father. Glory be to the Father and to the Son and to the Holy Spirit. And that this is what makes it possible for choirs to, to sing so many different psalms um, and indeed congregations to join in with these things every day. Mm. Um, so yeah, you mentioned that that was mode uh, eight. How many are, of these modes are there, did you say? Well, it it varies a little bit, but technically we, we tend to say there are eight modes. Uh, there are a couple of variants. Gosh, that's a topical word, isn't it, at the moment? Um, <laughs> <laughs> but, but we usually talk about eight church modes. 
Right, okay. And then what defines, um, I mean, what is a mode? Well, a mode is just a scale. We're used to talking about scales in music. The major scale that all of us know is this. Yep. And that's just a way of organising um, all the notes that exist between um, the two notes of an octave into eight different intervals. But we can do that um, because, in fact, between the two notes of an octave, there are actually 12 intervals possible, but we only need eight to make a scale. Um, so it's about deciding whether we're going to use a semitone or a tone. Mm -hmm. So in the major scale, it goes tone, tone, semitone, tone, 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 semitone. Now, a mode is just a different organisation of those tones and semitones. There'll still be eight notes in the mode. Um, mode one is a particularly common mode used in, in lots of chants. And if we wanted to know the notes of mode one, it's easily done by playing all the white notes on the piano from D to D. So here's mode one. I'll play it quickly first. And now I'll just go through and explain the tones and semitones. Mm -hmm. So unlike the major scale, it's tone, semitone, tone, 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 semitone, tone. Now this mode may be familiar because, in fact, it's the mode that that hymn tune Ave Maristella was written in. All I'll right, just, yes. just play that again. Yeah, yeah. And what's, I think, interesting about mode one is to our ears, and remember we're used to hearing so much uh, more modern music, it sounds like it can't decide if it's major or minor. It might yes. start as though it sounds mm. minor, but then it's got that major character. There are lots of melodies that use this mode because it's particularly attractive. Um, I'm thinking of um, this one from Simon and Garfunkel. Um, or even is that actually from Simon and Garfunkel. Surely it's a, a traditional song. <laughs> I'm that... sure it's a folk song, isn't it? Um, <laughs> another famous folk song, of course, Green Sleeves. Mode one, um, or a, a more modern hymn tune. Um, uh, now the green blade riseth. Indeed. So. We tend to use these modes all the time in, in church music, um, and it's not just music of the office, it's all, all the chants for mass are also organised into one of these eight modes. So effectively, um, just to go back to first principles, the, the, that scale that you, sat, that you played previously for mode one, that then defines the notes that can be used by tunes written in that mode. Is that, that, have I understood that correctly? That's right. And, and look, I don't think that in every case the, the, the people that composed um, all of the Gregorian chants necessarily set out, right, I'm going to write myself an antiphon now and it's going to be absolutely strictly in mode three. Um, right. <laughs> it's, a, it's a way that we classify chants. And, and look, anything else, um, it's all to be done with good taste. Um, and in the end, they're, they're, they're trying to write beautiful, prayerful music. Mm. Um, sometimes we don't um, think very much that, about Gregorian chant having been composed, but of course it, it has been. Um, yeah. but, but, but broadly speaking, this is uh, a way of classifying different chants.
a while ago we were talking about the fact that uh, that these same um, tones keep coming up for the psalms. I suppose that that also kind of contributes to um, a meditative aspect to the to the prayer of Vespers. Absolutely. I mean, I, I occasionally hear from from visitors to the cathedral who might have walked in through the the College Street door of an evening and hear the the chant of Vespers wafting around the cathedral. At first they might wonder where it's coming from because of course on a weekday we don't usually sing Vespers in the main sanctuary but instead um, we we celebrate that particular office in the the side chapel of the Irish saints. Yeah so the far side of the cathedral from where they walked in yeah. That's right so they can hear this this extraordinary sound Um, there is a repetitive quality to it Um, it's quite almost hypnotic in its way, especially in the acoustic of the cathedral. And then they eventually discover it, and they're going to see not only, uh, sorry, it's not only hearing that repetitive quality, there's also some things to see. The fact that the, the singers stand at the end of every verse, they bow whilst they sing glory be to the Father and to the Son, they stand up again, they sit down. There's all sorts of rhythms within the service that are discernible um, on different levels. It, well, it's a spiritual exercise in, in, in so many ways, isn't it? Yes, I think so. And and look, yeah. it's possible to um, exercise spiritually, um, virtually. I think that's one of the things that, that we've dis- discovered about um, live streaming of Vespers. It's yeah. very different than, than live streaming Mass. I mean, it's, it's great that people are able to uh, participate in Mass from home, but it's a different kind of participation. Yes, I suppose, uh, you know, without the, the Eucharistic aspect to Vespers, which of course requires a, an in-person participation to, to get the full, uh, well, to get any, any grace from it whatsoever, really, uh, Vespers doesn't involve any of that, and so you can, you can participate that much more fully, can't you? I think that's, that's true, and, and the words come up on the screen, uh, so hopefully that makes it easy for people to pray along uh, as the, as the the chants are being sung and prayed in the cathedral, yeah. And uh, is there something for for the first time, first time or second time viewer of Vespers? And so, um, is there anything that you'd uh, that you'd recommend for them to look out for in particular, Thomas? Um, I think probably the first time is just to try and even. I think there's a value in even listening to it with your eyes closed. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, although we have um, some excellent people that operate the cameras in the cathedral and they're always uh, finding new and interesting ways of, of, of making the camera work um, sort of uh, assist the prayer. Yeah. Um, I think the way in has got to be through the ears initially before, before it starts to become a visual thing. Yeah. Um, and then, as I said before, um, there are different um, aspects to, to praying along, whether it happens to be sung in Latin or in English. Obviously, there's an immediacy uh, for most of us uh, in the English version. Most of us can understand the English words, whereas I certainly can't understand all the Latin words instantly. Mm. Um, however, we hear a lot of spoken English um, in the course of a day. Uh, we're bombarded by it. And I don't know about you, but sometimes um, the more spoken words that I hear, or, or even sung words in English, I, I, I sort of tune some of them out. And that makes yeah. me kind of zone in and out. Uh, I'm, I'm often saying, yeah, less English, please. <laughs> well, whether we like it or not, that's, that's just the reality of, of, our, of our lives. Um, and I'm not sure that it is all that easy 
to, to really um, participate fully um, because it's so immediate. Um, on the other hand, with Latin, because it's definitely not immediate, um, it takes time. And by that, I mean, um, you might be able to read the English text, but the, the, the thing doesn't move on until they've got to the end of the line. The singers have got to the end of the line. No, indeed. That forces us to, to actually uh, to just ruminate on, on the words a little bit more. Um, yes, it's a, it's a moment for a deep breath, isn't it, really? Yeah, indeed. So, yeah. Um, look, personally, one of the things that I sometimes do when I'm praying my rosary uh, is to actually to pray that rosary in Latin. Um, because I, I find that, um, especially the repetitive um, nature of the rosary, I can be uh, midway through my Hail Marys and either lose my place or realise that actually I've gone through two or three um, Hail Marys and haven't actually been thinking about anything mm. that I should have been thinking about. My mm. mind has wandered. Yeah. If I do it in Latin, and, and I, I, I can pray the rosary in latin because well it's not that complicated once you once you know the prayers um <laughs> and i do understand the words um but it's just enough of a um a layer of, of not even complexity um it's like a differentiation prison, perhaps yeah yeah I, I i come to to understand and appreciate the text that i'm praying through that prism um which just uh helps me focus and I think opens up my prayer in a, in a very different way that I'm very grateful for. So I, I, I would encourage people to try that and they've got the opportunity to pray along one night in English uh, and then the next night in Latin. I think it's a, a very um, a good opportunity um, for people to take advantage of and uh, I know that I for one am, you know, especially in the current circumstances, I'm very um, grateful to, to you and to everyone at the cathedral for making this possible um, and uh, uh, do you think that it will continue after after the, the the present restrictions are lifted Thomas who knows who's got that uh, crystal ball uh. and uh, <laughs> I mean I, I find it difficult to even think about the present restrictions being lifted although um, please God they will be um, indeed but I tell you what certainly will continue is that we will continue singing for mass and vespers in this mm. cathedral um, and whether we live stream it or not will who knows? Who knows, indeed. A little birdie told me that, in fact, I'm talking to one of the people that that uh, does some of the cathedral's um, uh, camera work. Out of necessity. Right. <laughs> uh, it's really not my forte, I have to say. So I apologise to any viewers that have seen some dodgy camera work uh, on uh, for Mass or Vespers. Um, I've uh, only had to do it on occasion because... Um, Several of our far more experienced and, and really uh, very proficient camera operators are locked down. So there are several suburbs that people are not allowed to leave for work. Yeah. Uh, and unfortunately, as that uh, the number of those suburbs has grown, so has, we've lost several um, camera operators. Mm. Uh, and as one of the last people standing, I've had to be uh, taught how to do it. But um, isn't it interesting? I, I find um, conducting the choir or playing the organ at mass um, just infinitely easier and less stressful than I do sitting in front of in front of all those buttons and, and levers. Uh, it's uh, really yes. I mean, that, very that's, that's interesting because you know I, I can use a computer and I can talk on the phone, but I absolutely hate online meetings. 
Yeah. Um, just because there's there, there's so much going on because not only are people talking, you have to remember to unmute yourself unless you're you're one of those people who who keeps yourself off mute the whole time, which is you know itself a, a, a poor form. Um, but then there's the chat going on on the side, and if you're hosting a meeting, you have to let people in, and oh, it it it, it just absolutely. I, I find myself so overwhelmed by the whole experience. It, it can be quite exhausting. I think, like you, I'm I'm not one of the people that's going to be <laughs> saying, "Oh, let's keep meeting by Zoom after we have to." I, I certainly. Uh, look forward to that being consigned uh, well i mean i think probably what we should do is is just cancel all meetings <laughs> or that yeah that's an option um and uh, i also uh, heard you recently on on another podcast you traitor <laughs> oh i was very um, grateful and, and glad to have been asked to speak with um uh, bishop richard umbers auxiliary bishop of sydney um and i, I think you know you might might say that bishop umbers is um a unique uh, voice in the Catholic um, social media world. Um, yeah, he, he he creates memes. He does podcasts. Um, he's got all sorts of uh, ways of of communicating with people, and he does so very very effectively. Um, before he was a bishop, um, Bishop Umbers was was also um, actively involved in teaching philosophy, I believe, um, and uh, working with students. Uh, so he's got all sorts of gifts to offer and his podcast is always um, a worthwhile listening experience. He's had some uh, far more interesting and erudite guests than me. Um, <laughs> so it's really worth um, looking at the Episcopal podcast. Yeah, the Episcopal podcast, which you can um, find on um, wherever you get your podcast, as they say. But um, Thomas's episode I, I enjoyed listening to. I mean, not not least because, uh, you know, uh, there, there were... You and he are both are both Kiwis, Thomas, and so there was a certain <laughs> share, shared bond there. That's true. He was able to greet me in Maori, and I'm yeah. ashamed to say that I was not able to respond. I've been away yes, too long. I can only imagine the look on your face at that particular <laughs> moment. <laughs> well, Thomas, thank you very much for your time um, this afternoon. People can see it's afternoon because I've got I've got light shining in through the wind the portion of the window that's not covered with curtains. Um, and um, I know that um, you are interested in people's questions about... Yes, I, I would love it if um, people have, have, have got any questions, particularly about the singing of Vespers um, from St Mary's or about the, the live streaming or, or what we're doing at the moment. Please um, write, uh, write and uh, ask these questions and then we can answer them in a future podcast. Yes, yeah, so if people want to get their questions in by, mm, let's say, the 5th of September or so, 2021 is the year we're currently in, um, then um, we can perhaps be able to um, include those in, in our next episode, which will perforce be uh, another remote episode and may well include video again. Yes, indeed. Well, let's see if this one uh, actually works properly. <laughs> let's hope end. it Let's lands. hope it does, yes. <laughs> yeah, indeed. Um, now, what can people do? If you, if you have enjoyed this podcast, um, please, first of all, make sure that you've subscribed to it in your podcast client. Um, and uh, I should mention, because I never do, that if you are looking for a podcast client and you are an iPhone user, then I personally would always recommend Overcast by um, Marco Arment. Um, I recommend that because I actually use uh, another piece of software that he's written to help in the production of the podcast. Uh, and so he offers that for free, but, but suggests that if possible, people could 
could uh, promote um, overcast. It's um, highly to be recommended and is very well um, regarded. Um, uh, so yes, subscribe and um, leave us a review on iTunes or anywhere else. Um, ideally, a good review. Um, if you've got a bad review, um, send it to us privately. And you can always get in touch with us by email, especially if you want to um, uh, send us questions, as Thomas was just asking for, at stavedoff at cathedralchoir.sydney. And you can always find um, past episodes of the podcast uh, on the Cathedral Choir website. You can also find the video for this episode if you want to, to go back and watch it on the Cathedral Choir website. That's at cathedralchoir.sydney slash podcast. So until next time, Thomas, goodbye. Nice to see you. Bye.